Funding for Elwood City Limits is provided by, uh, I don't know, uh, me, I guess. doesn't really cost much. <laughs> and from viewers like you. Thank you. My free time. That's what funds us. <laughs> Hello there. Welcome to Elwood City Limits, the Episodic Arthur Podcast. My name's Will Young, and I appreciate you being with me here today. You know, I say I say that a lot when we're work when we're working, like when I'm on the air. I just be like, like thanks a lot. I really appreciate you being here. Like I appreciate you joining me on X day of the week. Welcome to our humble abode. Mm. And, I mean, you already know my name, but let's talk to the man to stage right, Lucas Mancini. Hello! How you doing, Lucas? I am doing fantastic as always. Now that we've done the blunder of having two of us look at different episodes, now we can really uh, be A-OK in terms of... uh, knowing which episodes we're going to tackle. That's right. We've already made that mistake once. We got that off our chest. Now we're back on track. That's absolutely right. Elwood City Limits. Talking at you here. I feel like (laughs) I'm just kind of, I don't know, I feel like there isn't enough banter in the show. But then again, I haven't, that's not based on any feedback. That's based on any intuition because there are many ways that we can get feedback. We just kind of need it to be rolling in. Now, of course, if you're not listening to Elwood City Limits, well, then we can't help you there, except you should be listening to Elwood City Limits. And if you are, we would love to hear from you. Uh, I'll just quickly go down with it. Of course, Lucas, we have Elwood City Limits on Facebook. That's right. Face Our Facebook page, pretty active. Lots of funny Arthur-related content, as well as letting you know when the new podcast episode is out. Yeah, I feel like that's, uh, that's mainly the episodes is kind of where it is right now. Funny content, I don't think we have the the listener base yet to kind of interact with that. But if we get more likes on that, then more funny Arthur content will be forthcoming. I have no doubt. A great way to help out the podcast is to, if you find us on iTunes, to leave a review and uh, rate us. That helps with the iTunes algorithm of what podcasts it lets people see. So if someone else doesn't know about us, they might find us if you send us a good review. Also, on that note, word of mouth. This is the most powerful advertising tool. If you love Elwood City Limits, let one of your friends know that you like it. It's true. Actually, the uh, the biggest spread that we've had so far is from uh, generous friends and even family members who, who have uh, spread the podcast via word of mouth. You're absolutely correct. And there is almost no replacement for that. But you mentioned iTunes reviews, and we actually have our first couple of them in there. That was very, very heartening for me to see as I was editing the last episode so uh, thank you to everybody who has uh, reviewed us on iTunes so far. We have two five-star reviews. Very happy about it. You can also find Elwood City Limits on SoundCloud. We upload on iTunes, but we also primarily upload through SoundCloud, where you can also download the uh, episodes right to your computer or whatever you would uh, like to download them to. So you can take us on the go. You can play us at home. You can do whatever you like. Don't worry, Android users. We haven't forgot about you. I know you're going through a tough time right now with your Galaxy's Explorer. Exploding, but hey, if you can keep yours intact, you can still listen to the podcast. Do you know anybody whose galaxies exploded? Only on the news. Okay, thank goodness. And of course, the way to get in touch with us reliably, and I'd say most personally, is through our email address. That would be elwoodcitylimits 
at gmail.com. Waiting for your emails, of course. Feedback is always important to the growth of a show. Maybe you hate this show. Maybe you just stumbled across it and you really got some problems with that Will character. So you want to you let us have it? Put us on blast at ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. Want to get rid of that Lucas? He laughs too much? Well, we'd love to hear it. <laughs> well, there you have it. And now we're off and running with, uh, with another double feature of Arthur episodes. And, of course, Arthur the PBS Kids Show. You can find it anywhere on the Internet. Just really just Google search. And uh, sometimes you find them on YouTube. Sometimes you have to go to Daily Motion. Shh. You didn't hear it from us, though. Right. You, like, don't go spreading that around or anything. <laughs> it's, the, it's the only way for us to find our favorite television show, our favorite children's television show from the 1990s. So that's how we found it, and that's how we found today's episode. We're kicking it off today with Locked in the library. Now we have a theme with both of these episode titles. There's an exclamation mark, so it's like it's being yelled at us. That's right. All it's missing is the impact font, uh, and you know that these episodes mean business. Absolutely. So we're kicking it off locked in the library. This one kind of starts off exploring the complex relationship that is Arthur and Francine. Arthur and Francine, sort of in that weird friendship bubble where sometimes you can't stand them and other times you wouldn't know what you could what you would do without them. With friends like these, right? Who needs <laughs> enemies? Needs enemies. Good good point. Uh, so at the beginning of the episode, Francine accidentally sloshes Arthur. Arthur, what he says is kind of key because he says the thing about Francine is it's hard to get mad at her. I feel like Arthur is very very merciful to uh, all of Francine's. Uh, Monkey shines. His, her antics. He's a little bit of a pushover. Yeah, for sure. And she is a very type A personality, so I imagine it would be hard to stay mad at her if you're Arthur. He also says, except for Buster, Francine is practically his best friend, which I found interesting. Mm. Uh, Arthur sort of keeps these friend tier rankings in his heads, and I'll have to admit it. It's a little embarrassing, and I'm not going to disclose them here because I don't want to draw the ire of any of my current friends, but come on. We've all kept a friend tier list we, here and there. Uh, yes, I have I have too. I won't say if I still do. But you're, <laughs> ab- but you're absolutely correct, and especially considering that Francine and Buster, not necessarily great friends, especially considering the episodes we've seen so far. I didn't even think about that, but it's sort of the Seinfeld phenomena, like that one Seinfeld episode where when Jerry leaves his apartment and it's just George and Elaine there, they have nothing to talk about except for Jerry. George and Elaine, not the best of friends, but they're both almost on the same level mutual friends with Jerry. I didn't even notice that, but that's true. He's, Buster and Francine get along much worse than Arthur gets along with her. He's kind of the conduit between the three of them to kind of act as friends. Yeah, good comparison there. Flashback to when they were very, very young. I want to say maybe three or four in preschool. And Arthur's mom introducing Francine, who says she's their new neighbor. So did Francine live next to Arthur at some point? I didn't catch that. She must have moved, because as we soon learn in later episodes, she lives in an apartment complex. Yes, they must have downsized, I guess. That's, hey, that's the economy, right? If How old would she have been? What year would have that been? That would have been 1990, early 90s. I want to say anywhere from like 92 to 94. I'm no expert, but I think the majority of the 90s, the American housing market was in a far better place than it soon got to. Maybe Arthur was sort of predicting the economic crisis of 2008. Who we, can say? Francine immediately... Instead of saying hello, licks a big old lolly and smacks it right on Arthur's forehead. Like like a real, like I tried to clap and I moved the microphone. It's a real, like real impact 
it's disgusting because it's like, have you ever gotten something sticky stuck in your hair? Well, imagine if you had hair all over your body. Ugh, just like an, a lollipop stuck on your fur. I assume Arthur has fur, right? So yeah. yeah. Just, just. Not. Although it kind of looks more like skin, it never really looks like fur. <laughs> I, I have to assume it's fur, right? Like his ears kind of look like they're fuzzy. I don't yeah. know. Although I think sometimes the animators go out of their way to like denote when something is fur. I'm not I'm not saying you're wrong. It's just I always kind of interpret it as more like human skin. Hey, even a lollipop on my bare pink flesh. Not a pleasant time. No, certainly not. The mini hairs that are probably on there. Yeah, childhood friendship is really weird in that it started off with Francine basically taking the alpha position in their friendship by outright asserting herself over Arthur, and then they're just always friends. As, as Arthur says, she's always stuck by me. So it's weird how little you need to be friends. Uh, there's a, There's an episode coming up later where they get into how Arthur and Buster became friends, and that makes even less sense <laughs> somehow. Well, it all worked out in the end. It did. It really did. Uh, so, you know, Arthur going on, setting up the pins of his and Francine's friendship, only to knock it down himself with an ill-advised comment later on. Uh, Francine confronts him about something that he said, did you tell everyone that I looked like a marshmallow? Now, I didn't quite catch why did Arthur called France why did Arthur call Francine a marshmallow? I think it was because of some kind of coat that she was wearing. Okay, cuz at first I was like Francine or doesn't sweat, a sweater. I think it was a sweater. Francine looks nothing like a marshmallow. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to picture like what article of clothing could make a human being look like a marshmallow? What makes you look like the Michelin or Stay Puff marshmallow man? Do you remember that later on episode where Arthur wears the Mr. Puffy coat? Yes. So that, kind of, I guess. Or maybe it was like a big white fur, like she was kill a cam. <laughs> Panda. And I don't know, you'll have to, you'd have to kind of, it sounds like you'd have to be there. Yeah, that's one of those jokes where in retrospect, it still sounds like a pretty sick burn. I wouldn't want to be called a marshmallow any day of the week. No, certainly but, not. But uh, it definitely probably made more sense in the context, which I think is a, it's an interesting creative decision by the writers not to show us this moment of Arthur burning Francine. We only hear it in retrospect. Yeah, and then uh, speaking of best friends, Buster's kind of right alongside to remind him. It's like, yeah, when she was wearing that goofy sweater. And then immediately is acting as Arthur's unnecessary and unwanted hype man. <laughs> it's like if if it's like if one of your friends stepped up to be the flavor flav in a in a situation that really didn't call for it. It's just just like, so what are you gonna do about it? And Francine <laughs> Yeah boy <laughs> And Francine advances on him and she says, You better apologize or and then Buster gets in her face and says, Or what? And she just bypasses him and I'm just like, Buster's really not helping the situation here. Needlessly escalating it, if I do say. <laughs> just like a good hype man does, escalating. <laughs> so who's at fault here? Um, is, it, is it Arthur for making the initial comment or is it Buster for making it worse? I'm going to say Arthur. I think if you're, not a pr- if you're not prepared to do the time, don't do the crime. Mm. None of this would have happened if he hadn't said something bad about his friend in the first place. And this gets into Arthur and Francine's complicated relationship because Francine kind of badmouths Arthur all the time. So yeah. it's difficult to understand, like, is this like a friendly back and forth or was Francine's feelings truly hurt? I think Buster in the situation only stands to make matters worse for sure, especially because it's not really any of his business and he just hops in. Uh, but like hops in. 
yeah, like a bunny would. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I, I think it is really both of their fault because if Arthur had said it and it never got back to Francine, or if it did get back to Francine and Arthur just got a chance to apologize, whereas Buster didn't really let that happen, mm. uh, it's hard to say. They both play a part. Takes two to tango. That's true, and I I I, I more or less agree with you. And uh, uh, speaking on kind of Francine and how she takes it, I, I have more to say on that as we get into the episode. The crux of the events of the episode is that Mr. Ratburn assigns them group work and uh, partners them off, as 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 you do in elementary school. And it kind of gets in. It reminded me of the childhood joy that was group work in the school. I mean, you always, you always loved it. The best was when you could work in, like, groups of four and you could pick your partners. Oh, my goodness. That's hitting the jackpot, basically. Right. Like, I think once I got maybe a group of six and you could pick your partners. And it's just like, that was my friend group and then, like, one other person. But it was, like, all of my friend group. You don't have to make any tough decisions. When you get into, like, groups of three, then you have to make the cuts. That's where that friend tier list we mentioned earlier comes mm-hmm. in. That's when the true the true feelings come out. That's where your ranking is made uh, horribly clear. For our Tumblr Arthur fans, uh, Mr. Rapper kind of gives us the official Arthur ships early on. He pairs up Binky with Sue Ellen, mm. Muffy, Muffy with Buster, which is an interesting duo, and they actually have some pretty fun... Uh, there's some pretty fun Muffy Buster moments later on in yes, the series. I, yeah. uh, and, of course, one of the more obvious Arthur ships, uh, Arthur Francine. Yes, of course. The the classic, although uh, it all kind of the, – the waters will muddy as we go along, but definitely that's the one you kind of fall back on, the, the cheeseburger and fries of the Arthur ship universe. Some awesome, some awesome mean mugs here before Mr. Ratburn announces the partners of, like, Muffy tapping the ruler on the desk and <laughs> Francine and Sue Ellen just glaring at Buster and Arthur. It's pretty. It's pretty great. It's and the music to accompany it. I always, I always kind of like that. Uh, so yes, of course, as you said, uh, they're paired into those groups, and the idea is what makes a hero or heroine. So that's their project. Wonderfully open ended as elementary projects are. And I was gonna say that's a. It's such a cool project. I was thinking to myself, oh, I'd like to do that. Mm. There's, there's. It's so rife with material. You could really pick anyone that you personally view as a hero, and I think. Back in the elementary school days, a lot of people probably picked their parents yeah. or someone very close to them, a grandfather perhaps. But here as adults, if we were able to ta- tackle this subject, there's a, a whole, you know, pretty much the entirety of history could be chosen as a subject. Well, it's interesting how back when we were kids, this would be the kind of assignment where we would, where as the kids do in the episode, they just groan and can't believe it because, of course, you'd rather do anything than schoolwork. But nowadays, if you ask me to, like, pair up with somebody and, like, find out the true meaning of heroism in and, like, as personified by a person, that would be I – would, I would love to do that. That would be awesome. Like – and especially knowing that you could pick anybody. You know, like, if, if you were doing this in school and, and you and a buddy picked, like, Bret Hart or something. That's right. Now, I don't know how heroic he would seem to the Americans – but for us Canadians, Canadians, he is truly a beacon of heroism. We've honored him with days, keys to the city. That's he's right. A, he's a Canadian national treasure. Now, on that note, before we move mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. and if you don't know, I'll give you the rest of the episode to think about it, but do you have a particular hero in mind that you would do this project if you were assigned it today? No, but uh, not off the top of my head, but I will think about it, and I will get to it when it's least appropriate. All right, we'll talk about that later. Sure thing. So Arthur goes back home, and... Absolutely love this part. It's uh, 
DW talking on the phone with Francine and getting the sco- getting the scoops from Francine and also acting as Francine's emissary into Arthur's world because of course the- Francine's not speaking to him so DW gives him the sitch of meet her at the library tomorrow at three o'clock and then she <laughs> I'm sorry I love this uh, she hangs up the phone gives Arthur the deets and then exits the room just hu- like literally huffing and just goes hmm worm (laughs) it's so withering it's so withering it's just fantastic and she just found out about it now but she is so quick to turn on arthur i love it well even before that when she's engaging with this gossip with francine it's a really funny like comical moment because uh it's one of those cases where less is more you only hear dw side of the conversation you have to imagine in your head what francine is saying which really makes it funny because you can only assume they're talking about how arthur called her a marshmallow Mm. and dw goes well he's one to talk you should see what he looks like in pajamas Mm. which is like ooh, arthur's gonna need some skin grafts for those third degree burns bit of salve bit of salve for the burns uh so arthur and francine do meet up at the library and uh Miss Turner, kind of making a more prominent vocal role that's not in a dream. Uh, she's kind of showing them where to go, and they're trying to figure out who they want to. Now, before they get to that, did yep. you notice anything strange visually about this scene? Because what really jumped out at me was uh, the shot of Arthur and Francine uh, just meeting with Miss Turner at the front desk. I don't know what was going on, but the front desk is huge. Like, usually I and this might be because, be because of the scale you see the world as as a kid, but when they're in school, Arthur and his friends, they look medium-sized. They mm. look perfectly sized for the doors sure. and the windows and everything. But in this shot, the desk is, like, comically large compared to Arthur and Francine. Like, their heads don't reach the top of the desk. It's, like, a whole head bigger than them. And also, by uh, that note, Miss Turner looks huge as well. She looks gargantuan, mm. which kind of played with the scale a little bit that, I didn't notice before. I actually didn't notice that, but that's uh, that's good looking out. Now that I think about it, like when Francine's leaning up against the desk, like the desk is taller than her. So mm-hmm. that's, a good, that's a good point. So they're trying to figure it out, and Miss Turner asks Arthur who he would like to research, and he says, maybe a man, and then Francine quickly rebuts with, a woman. And then he kind of pulls at his collar just, or a woman who did something famous. And I just kind of really appreciated that little... Um, yeah, that little thing right there. Good, good for Francine. You know what? Yeah. Like dinosaurs wipe out man, women inherit the earth. Exactly. It's all that jazz. <laughs> uh, though Miss Turner's suggestions of possible women to research, uh, I take issue. I don't know. I don't know if Joan of Arc is who I would call a heroic figure. Certainly in the fictionalized version of Joan of Arc, but I mean. That's one of those cases where it kind of depends on which side of the world you were at at the time, right? If you're an Englishman, Joan of Arc, not a heroic uh, figure at all. Yeah, it's it's she's almost uh, she's very much a hero in more religious circles because she's exactly. If you're not a Christian, I don't think you see Joan of Arc in the same light. Whereas I think we can all agree Harriet Tubman, an excellent example of sure. a female yes, heroine. Absolutely. Someone who absolutely deserves to be on the $10 bill. I think that's the one that they're putting her on. But oh, yeah? Harriet, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, um, good. Harriet Tubman, uh, a fantastic example of a hugely impactful 
female historical figure. But Joan of Arc just came off as weird to me. If you could pick two, that she would definitely not be on my list. She was. I think she was also kind of gendering it a little bit because for you know she was kind of selling Arthur on Joan of Arc with like horses, battles, exciting stuff. That's true. I didn't think of it from that angle. Excuse me. And then Harriet Tubman is kind of just more of a your plain clothes hero, but a hero nonetheless. Absolutely. So they're li- they're warned that the library closes promptly at five o'clock so they go their separate ways and uh not really doing their work just kind of goofing, goofing off just uh, uh reading your scary stories and whatnot so arthur's reading on a couch and the clock gets to five the library closes and they're still in there now the real enemy of this episode is not arthur and francine's rivalry here but the real enemy is gross negligence how did we let this happen? My mom's a librarian, which I've mentioned before. Yes. Uh, and I know from talking to her, this would absolutely never, ever happen. No! Uh, no. She's managed multiple libraries, from small to pretty much the biggest library in the city we live in yeah. uh, close by. There's just there's no scenario I can picture where this would happen on any level. Before they lock up, they check every room in the library. Uh, there's cleaning staff that come in after hours. I know that this has to happen for the episode to have a plot, but it for someone who knows anything about how libraries operate, it's completely fanciful. You would almost want them to get lost in the stacks because then at least then there would be a chance that you'd miss them. But Arthur is sound asleep on a couch just out in the open. That's the only way this is possible is is if they were playing hide and seek or something and like Arthur hid in a cupboard. Then I could see this totally happening. Sure. But falling asleep on a public couch, there's no way the librarians would miss that. They would totally just wake you up and tell you it's time to go. Like that's just it. But then we wouldn't have an episode. So, okay. But that's what I'm saying. Gross negligence is our real enemy in all aspects of life. So Arthur realizes that he's in locked in the library. And then we get to see a little bit more horror imagery. We like to bring up this horror, in some cases, Lovecraftian imagery that you like to reference, Lucas. And we, we get a little bit of that as Arthur realizes he's locked in. And he kind of sees the trees moving outside, uh, shadows of bats, and then the clock the grandfather clock turns into a giant monster. It's very Evil Dead 2, yeah. where all the inanimate yeah. objects come to life and yeah. start laughing at Ash. Like, that's immediately what popped in my head is Good like thinking. the uh, a deer on the wall in Evil Dead 2 laughing. Right. Dead before dawn and all that. No, good good pull. And then, of course, Arthur kind of has to pull himself back from the brink there. <laughs> uh, and bumps into Francine, and they realize they both got locked in the library. Francine, even less explanation as to how since she was on a table reading. So I don't know. It must be it must be like the purge or something. You know, when it's 5 o'clock, it's, you're looking after your own butt. That's right. The emergency broadcast system comes on, and the library doors are shut. Francine says, how dumb does someone have to be to get locked in the library and then looks directly into the camera? She does a great little pause there. Like, uh, Francine kind of arguing... Uh, a little bit, it, like she's. I can tell that she's very mad because a lot of the points that she's making don't really make sense. She, I think she's just kind of uh, worried and expressing it through, uh, through, through kind of art, bickering with Arthur. Like, um, you know, she says, "Why didn't you wait? Why didn't you uh, wake me up?" And then Arthur says, "Well, why didn't you wake me up?" And to which she says, "I'm not your mother, Arthur Reed." And, you know, it's just kind of like this 
circular kind of thing. Like you said, great line, how dumb does someone have to be to get locked in the library? And then he kind of thinks about it and goes, anyway, like just <laughs> doesn't dwell on it. And all, and it's just also like, I'm still not talking to you and I'm not listening either. And he <laughs> bumps into the bookcase. So just kind of, just really kind of circling herself in terms of probably just mad at herself and worried and but just not wanting to show it as you would be in this scenario sure especially especially if you're claustrophobic or anything Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. uh you have to sort of settle down before you can have any problem solving process about this situation so their idea is to get out to use the incredibly tall windows and of course to build towers of books to the top like this is this is tolkien level two towers level of book book Fortress here. It's Babel esque. They they stack up any <laughs> Babel, more Babylonian. Yes, they stack up any more books. They might be too close to God, and he'll <laughs> and hey, maybe they did get too close because the stack of books comes tumbling down, or at least Arthur and Francine well, do. You you said earlier about the scale of kind of the <laughs> library. Did you notice that these the novels that they're using are the size of a child's torso? It's really like cartoon, old Disney cartoon. If these books were to come to life and start flapping about like they had wings, yeah. I wouldn't be that surprised. They're they're huge and like fit for a giant more than a more than a human child. And then of course some some pretty good physical comedy. Like I I I, I always liked when I was a kid kind of the structures they were making even though they don't make any freaking sense. Uh and so they both kind of collapse, like taking some real, real gainers off of the uh, off of the top of these shelves and not hurting themselves, especially considering how tall the <laughs> the windows are. Like really remarkable that they were able to uh, to remain unscathed. Then they realize the library is closed until Monday, which I believe they went on a Saturday because it was a weekend project. So the library is closed on Sunday. That's designated closing day. So they're locked in until Monday if nobody finds them, and then. They ruminate into the fact that they're getting hungry and that Francine says their families will be worried sick. Cut to Arthur's imagination, this wonderful tableau of DW immediately usurping Arthur's place in the Reed family household, just taking over his room, having the wallpaper ripped out, painted over in pink. Uh, She Uh, has actual uh, painters that she's hired. Yes. It's not her doing this. She's sitting back and relaxing. as, As she willfully neglects Pal and his dish. Like, presumably going to leave him to starve. Doesn't she say something like, oh, I hope Arthur's okay. She does. She gives a very (laughs) cursory, poor Arthur, hope he's okay, to follow it up with, and make sure you get rid of that bionic bunny poster. (laughs) It's it's great. It's great. Um, So Francine has a bright idea to use a a book, not in the physical sense, but in the knowledge sense. So she goes through the card catalog, the physical card catalog. A lot of this episode is a little bit dated because there'd be a lot of solutions that would exist in 2016 that aren't available for these kids. For one, I know probably eight years old is a little early to be having an iPhone, but they could use a cell phone to contact the outside world, or they could just use Google on one of the computers and go, how do I escape this library or send an instant message? Plenty of solutions, but hey, it's the 90s, and we needed to have an episode. Using the Dewey by God decimal system. (laughs) And so she gets to the How to Escape From series of books, including the popular How to Escape From Prison and How to Escape From a Desert Island. And then probably the least popular in that series is How to Escape From a Library. Very oddly specific. I wonder what other issues they have. What other things could you escape from? How to a es- Sarlacc pit. How to Escape From Existential Torment. Oh, geez. Got to get myself a copy of that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so they try, try and get to it. 
uh, but unfortunately, somebody checked it out, to which Francine says, who would need a book about escaping from a library unless they were already in a library? And I think it might be only for a second, but I think she looks into the camera again when she says this line. Uh, So they hear the telephone, which they thankfully answer, and it's uh, it's Muffy. (laughs) And Muffy uh, was not able to get into the library and wants to commission Miss Turner to get her some books that she'll need. Now we're talking, we're talking rich here, Lucas. You, your family is more of the library. Do, do you, do you think, do you think your mother or the people under her charge would kowtow to the rich and uh, uh, express order them books, deliver it to them? Even yeah, I'm not sure if librarians make house calls. Though I know, speaking of 2016, <laughs> I bet Muffy would enjoy the future we live in. She'd be able to task rabbit someone to go pick up library books for her. We live in a day and age where there's an app to get someone to come and do your laundry for you. Mm. So, in 2016, Muffy would not have to lift a figure for finger, excuse me, for much less than I'm sure she'd have to pay these librarians to make home visits. Not to mention the advent of ebooks and borrowing online. But even if that's too much trouble, just get somebody to do it for you. The ways you mentioned. Unfortunately, Muffy is no help. Arthur has a great reaction, just like, what did you do? How could you let her hang up? And just, uh, (laughs) I really like that. And then, like, some great faces, some (laughs) great reactions in this episode. And one of the ones I really liked was Francine trying to dial out and then getting, like, you must enter the correct user code. This is one where she looks into the camera, her face completely falls and just, like, you kidding me? And it's just a real great... And that might be an adult for the jokes, because I don't think I understood office phone networks as a kid. But as an adult, I totally empathize with... uh, That's terrible. When you're trying to make an outward call, and it's like, please uh, type in the correct password. Mm. You're like, oh, office phones. It took me a year to understand that there was... Like, you had to dial a certain number to use the phones here. I just thought they didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) So So at this point... Arthur and Francine kind of uh, split from each other. They're starting to get in each other's nerves. Arthur calls her a marshmallow again. Uh, so we cut to Arthur, who is reading some kind of lifestyle or cooking uh, magazine. Almost looks like a like a paper. Like, you know, uh, you're, you're not going to know. But uh, uh, <laughs> w- Woman's World magazine used to be kind of printed on. It wasn't like a glossy magazine. It was kind of like almost printed on like newsprint, but it was like color. Okay. So it was very like water soluble, more so than like a magazine. Yeah. So that kind of thing. And so Arthur is uh, reading reading about a prime turkey dinner, and then proceeds to rip out the page and just d- hock it in his mouth and go to town. Hey man, you got to do what you got to do in those situations. He's not quite at the 127 hours level of desperation yet, <laughs> but anything you can do to stay sane, all for you, Arthur. I don't think that's crazy at all. I'd probably end up doing the same thing. Any port in a storm, no, for sure. And then he hears screaming and he immediately assumes, of course, it's Francine. Uh, runs runs down the hallway in a tense scene and then pops into where she is, gets some cheese on his glasses from uh, going face first into some pizza and finds that she's watching a scary movie. Eh, eh, eh. New segment. It's our first appearance of an Arthur meme. That's right. The image of Arthur getting his face stuck in the pizza. Yeah. If you pause right there, I've seen that circulating around as one of one of the many pictures people have used from Arthur's as an Arthur meme. That's the first one I've noticed. Oh, uh, I don't know if I've seen that one. I think it's usually attached with a caption that's like when your night's messed up or it's usually like when you're feeling something negative or when people are 
sort of talking about how they love to indulge in pizza or something I like see. that. I've seen that one going around, and it's not the first Arthur meme in this episode, so stay tuned. I'm, I'm surprised. I mean, it's not, the, it's not the only Arthur episode. There's another one to come. I'm surprised that this is the first appearance event of an Arthur meme. People, if we've missed one, let us know. I mean, I, my, 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 memory, my memory for Arthur is more uh, vocal and oral. A-U-R-A-L, not so much based on images. It's also, here's how my memory is based on images. I also think that the meme in particular might be a screen cap of the YouTube rip I was watching because it's got the exact same uh, logo in the oh. bottom left corner of the screen. Oh, that, that no, that totally makes sense, and I would, I would assume so just because these are kind of hard to come by. This is when we get into kind of the meat of... Arthur and Francine kind of understanding each other because Arthur, of course, came running because he thought Francine was in trouble and that he was worried, to which Francine says, why were you worried about me? I'm just a marshmallow, remember? And this is where I kind of realized that Francine, and this is kind of backed up later in the series at various points, Francine is definitely the type who can dish it out real well, but she can't take it. And but but they're kind of both too young to understand that. So Arthur is never really in a position to like to call her on it or like really get that. But we as adults can kind of see, ah, see this really this one thing that Arthur said affected him much more than like he mentions. Uh, what about what about the time I got glasses? You called me four eyes and then references a future episode. Uh, it's like, what about when my baby tooth wouldn't come out, which, of course, she's merciless to him in those episodes and Arthur kind of in the end takes it all in stride and this one insult really got to Francine's core which I thought was very interesting it's also a great example of continuity in this show it's always nice when a show that changes so drastically from episode to episode Mm -hmm. uh, has a little bit of continuity like that referencing other episodes it always makes you feel like oh this is a living breathing world and there's consequences to the events in the Arthur universe yeah it's true uh so, th- but then Francine is kind of touched that Arthur was worried about her, and and offers him some pizza, and they kind of make up, and then they kind of realize that being locked in the library is pretty cool because they're like eating tubs of ice cream, eating pizza, watching movies, and it's like maybe we should get locked in here every weekend. But then, who comes in to uh, their rescue? But well, their parents and DW. So now before we get to that. They're obviously in the break room of the library. I think mm-hmm. one of them even mentions, I think this is where the librarians mm-hmm. hang out. Uh, could you imagine if someone broke into our workplace after hours and ate all the food in what, what our food? rec area? Well, exactly, what food? What? But if we had a whole pizza there, <laughs> and then I came and some miscreant ate my pizza overnight, oh, I'd be livid. You're not wrong, but... <laughs> Maybe, I guess fault, they needed to survive. The fault is on the library here because... This shouldn't have happened. Like even Miss Turner says when they when they come in, she's surprised to find them there, and she says, "I don't know how this could have happened. Me either, lady. <laughs> I wrote the same thing. Yeah, I don't know either, Miss Turner. I guess you ha- they have to sleep in the bed they made. If they were a little bit more observational, they'd still have pizza. Yes, yeah. So I think they get what they deserve. D.W. very stern here. Uh, you know, kind of uh, holding up. You know. Mother saying, like, are you all right? We were so worried. DW kind of holding the VHS tape uh, very accusingly. Just, they look perfectly fine to me. (laughs) 
It's like, all right. Every time DW has opened her mouth in this episode, it's been sheer gold. Yeah, and she and she didn't do it very much. So you proof that uh, a little can go a long way with DW. Uh, so then, cut to the presentations at school. The a uh, uh, couple days later, um, Muffy doing a presentation about a member of her family, uh, part of the Crosswire Motors branch. I'm trying to I'm trying to think, but I believe this is the funniest part of the episode. Where I was just going to say, I wrote this down. This is my favorite part of both of the episodes we watched today. I was rolling on the floor, geeking, I might say. Uh, Mr. Reparin's sort of, you know, questioning Muffy about her project, about her, the member of her family, and then her partner, her forgotten partner, He's, Buster. Mr. Reparin says, "Buster, do you have anything to add?" Buster gets up from his chair demonstrably. <coughs> No. <laughs> There's so many levels of why it's funny, though. Like That's that's another meme. I've seen that as an Arthur meme. Around. Oh, see, I haven't even seen that one. There's For- so... Uh, 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 that's meme number two. We're going to have to have a little Arthur meme st- sound sting in the future, so we don't have to do it with our mouth. Another thing for me to get, yeah. But... Buster's not even standing with her while they're making the presentation. No. He's sitting off to the side. He knows his place here. <laughs> he knows what role he plays in Muffy's game. If there's one thing that Buster knows, it's uh, what side his bread is buttered on. <laughs> so, and then Arthur and Francine relate their kind of thrilling tale um, that Francine says they were too busy learning the true meaning of heroism. To which she, I think she kind of slyly and doesn't really like say it but she kind of indicates that Arthur was a bit heroic and kind of gives him a bit of a bit of a rub, a rub there so I kind of appreciate that and I think so in her, in her own kind of rough around the edges way she does kind of care that he cared about her well they both use each other of examples of heroic behavior she says that Arthur looked for me when he thought I was in trouble and Arthur says Francine found the food which both equally heroic tasks Agreed. um I think Mr. Rapper makes the right call, though. At the end of the day, he says, oh, that's great, guys. Now I'm going to give you till next week to work on your project. Which is pretty generous. I think it's. I think they're they're pretty disappointed about it because they don't want to do schoolwork. But, hey, guys, you came up with it on the spot. It's a great moral to the story, but not quite a project, an oral presentation on heroism, I don't mm. think. It's not really – it's in – this the letter of the law, but definitely not the spirit. They tried to pull the rabbit out of the hat, and they almost got away with it. They almost so pulled it off. They had to, they had to try, and I appreciate the effort. Um, this kind of is illustrated to me of just like so. Libraries closed on Sunday. This is the time before the internet was really even popular or even used. Like so, if the library is closed on a Sunday and you don't have any internet to do your research, like tough luck. Like that's it. Like they, it wasn't so much that they were just lazy and didn't do it. It was just like no, they they actually can't. They can't even ask Jeeves. No, goodness no. Jeeves was just a twinkle in his a- creator's eye. Yeah, ask's eye. If you made ask Jeeves email. Elwood City Limits at gmail.com. That would be awesome if the guy who made Ask Jeeves was an Arthur fan. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so we end the episode with Francine accidentally sloshing Arthur and Buster, and Arthur says she's a lot of fun most of the time, which is a pretty accurate, uh, succinct way to sum up Francine, in a a sense. The the episode that I watched did not have a word from us kids. Me neither. So I guess we're going to have to go without this time around. Uh, but we can get right into the second half of the episode, which is Arthur Accused. And do you think that this might be the best opening to an episode that we've had yet? Because it's Ooh. because it's a, I really liked it. It was uh, 
Um, basically, it begins at Buster's Place, which is kind of part of an apartment complex, but on sort of on the ground floor, a little bit of duplex thing going on I was going just going to say, it could be a duplex. Could be. Um, beginning in Buster's room, he's got kind of a big old Stetson ca- cowboy hat on. Okay, before we get into this, we got to talk about this this hat. Sure. I, I, it's okay, it's obvious, and even Buster mentions later in the episode, this is his detective outfit. So they're going for a detective vibe, and I see that with the trench coat. That's yes. totally like, you've got a noir detective, they wear a trench coat. Totally. I'm with the writers there or the animators. Whoever made this decision. But the hat, I I don't get the hat, okay? Because usually if you're going noir, the detective has a fedora. If you're yes. going Sherlock Holmes, they got the huntsman cap or yes. whatever. Yeah. This hat is comically huge. And I think it's because it needs to cover our, uh, Buster's ears because Buster's yeah. ears are big. But it almost is like a it, – it, it's almost – 10 gallon cowboy hat level either that or like a top hat I think you could also interpret it as just kind of Buster comically misunderstanding like what a detective wears but uh, (laughs) like kind of getting halfway there and then just kind of messing it up a little bit but um, kind of his heart's in the right place I think it's a fantastic look I think it's I think it's great like a very iconic uh, alt costume for Buster like press C right and get his detective that's right we've seen Safari Buster now here's Detective Buster yeah sell sell a couple of action figures so he is sipping himself uh, Coca-Cola out the bottle with a with a straw introduces himself as Buster Baxter private eye and it's a great like it's a great noir opening because it's starting with uh, kind of reflecting on the case and then going in medias res to Almost the resolution of the episode because our, because this is Buster's very first case. We go to Arthur who is stuck in a detention room, and all of a sudden people are pounding on the door, calling for Arthur's name and pre- presumably his blood. He's a wanted man, an angry mob, you could say. Yes, uh, it's sort of the closest we've gotten. I know I've mentioned this before, but it's almost a literal. How did I end up here? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've kind of seen shades of that with the cold opens before. But this is almost like to a T, a like sort of noir. Well, this is the end of the story. How did we get here? Yeah, Buster himself says, "I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go back to the beginning." And v- like very interesting right off the bat, I'm just like what? What's going on here? <laughs> like you really want to know, like what in the world is happening? So we start with Arthur, who is uh, into his next enterprise after his pet business. This one a little bit more philanthropic. He is uh, collecting quarters for the fire department so that they can get a new puppy. Arthur also wearing an alt costume. We see Jacket Hmm. Arthur for the majority of this episode. Yeah, and rather than the Bela Lugosi vampire cloak that he was wearing in the first episode, he's got a much more sensible green green fall jacket. That's right. It looks like almost like a bomber jacket. Something you'd catch Kanye West wearing, one of those classic green bombers. Uh, I got a lot of questions about the scene that we get into here. Arthur. Really? Well, so... He's raising money, right? It's not. It's not a personal enterprise. No, it's a charitable Speci- thing. specifically quarters. Right. Okay. So, as as I mentioned, he is collecting quarters for the fire department so that they can buy a new puppy for their fire station. So my questions are. Yeah. Okay. One is this through? It, this is through the school. It seems so. Arthur's yeah. raising money for the school for the fire department to buy a puppy. This just seems weird to me. Like, can't the fire department buy their own puppy? It's strange to me that a 
third grader has to put together the funds to do this? Well, it depends. First off, I, I really don't know where a fire department gets its money from, especially uh, if, we're, uh, if we're talking a volunteer fire department. It's municipal government, I think. It's it's okay. that's it's part of the municipal branch of government as well as like a city police department. The fire department is from the same branch. More than anything, I feel like it is kind of more of a charitable gesture, and I feel like Arthur probably went to – uh, someone like Mr. Ratburn or Principal Haney, and you know they kind of maybe heard on the news or something that the oh the fire department's looking for a new puppy or something, and just like well maybe we can help him out, and like and then maybe the administration kind of jumped at the chance to be like let's get some good publicity, let's uh you know the kid let the kids collect quarters, and then we'll uh we'll match any donation that they make towards the new puppy fund. Oh uh, okay, when you, know you put it saying? that way, it makes a lot more sense. Um, I don't know, it was just weird to me. I was like I could see like raising money to uh, revamp the fire hall. Yeah. Like, I could see that as more of a, a realistic cause. Buying a new puppy just seems strange. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, it's completely different as to whether or not they're asking for donations or whether Arthur is taking this upon himself. That's true. Which it seems to be his project. So I, uh, I couldn't say because, well... It's the Elwood City Fire Department. I'm afraid I don't keep tabs on them. (laughs) So Arthur has this big bowl of quarters, and Buster invites him to the arcade, and he just has to drop them off uh, to uh, Mrs. Mrs. McGrady, the cafeteria lady. Before he does that, Binky shows up. Yes. And uh, Arthur sort of... Uh, schmaltzes Binky into donating. Uh, I loved this because we doesn't get- he, but he doesn't really have to. Uh, he doesn't really have to pull his arm too much, though. Well, because uh, we get a great little thought bubble of mm-hmm. Binky's uh, yeah. thought making process, which is identical to the decision making I make when I have to decide if I want to spend money or not. There's a literal <laughs> scale in Binky's imagination, and on one end of the scale is a quarter, and on the other is the puppy, yes. and the scale sort of moves uh, weighting the options quite literally in Binky's mind. Eventually, the puppy wins out and Binky uh, relinquishes his quarter. But whenever I have to spend money, I do the exact same thing. How much do I want this thing? Do I want it more than the money yeah. I have? It's it's it, And it's a nice little uh, look ahead to Binky's more soft-hearted nature. He was pretty easily swayed by the idea of a cute puppy. So, uh, you know, just kind of... Gives him the quarter and and halves him off with it. So Arthur has to deliver this paper bag of quarters to Mrs. McGrady, the cafeteria lady. I was I was taking note of her conversation on the phone about the little fire puppy. Oh, I just did kind too. Of, kind of uh, what would like what sh- what should he be named? You know, suggesting you know like I think the fire department wants to call him Smokey, and she's thinking more like Edgar or Winston. Chester and, later she comes up with as well. That's right. Um, so what do you think, Will? Of these four names. What do you go with? Smokey, Edgar, Winston, or Chester? Uh, if we're talking the fire dog, then it's got to be Smokey. If it's going to be my dog, um, I'd be partial to Winston. I was just going to say, of the weird people names that Mrs. McGrady suggests, I think Winston is the one to go with. A dog named Edgar is just strange to me. Yeah. It's like naming a dog Tom, which yeah. I think is kind of funny. I think that's kind of funny in its own it's a little right. Too, it's a little too plain. Uh, it's very left of field. Yeah. I once decided if I was going to get a dog, I didn't end up doing this. Uh, our dog ended up being named Spirit. But one of the names I suggested was Jeff Bridges, which I thought was <laughs> just really comical. Hey, Jeff Bridges. Come here, Jeff Bridges. That's funny. I like that. Um, yeah. So she she mentions like Chester could be a fine name for a dog because her first husband was named Chester. <laughs> so it might understand that Mrs. So was her first Husband a dog? 
this episode like we like like we keep <laughs> we keep getting dragged back into the into the what kind of like into back into the animal conversation. That's right. Her, her first husband could have been a literal dog, goofy style. Or her first husband could have been a figurative dog in that he was sort of not a nice dude and maybe, you know, cheated on Mrs. McGrady well, or something like that. Well, my th- well, my thinking was more like, okay, so if her first husband was a dog and then we're also talking about getting a puppy and then we get we get back into the, like, why is one sentient and the other isn't and just like, oh, man, it's just a swirling drain of – of this conversation going back and forth. So um, she did have a great line that I just could, did not understand at all. She just, uh, you know, kind of going back and forth with the fire chief. And she says, if you name a dog Smokey, who's he going to root for? <laughs> and I, just, I was like, I don't know how to respond to that. Like, I, don't... I, know, I do. Mrs. McGrady, have you ever heard of the bear? Possibly the most anti-fire being ever to exist, Smokey the Bear. Do you think Smokey the Bear is a real bear in Arthur? Do you think he exi- does he exist? Is it a real talking bear? Oh my goodness, oh, I gotta say yes. Mm. I think in my heart, Smokey the Bear is a real bear. IRL. <laughs> I go to if I ever think about starting a fire in a season where there's a high burn warning. Smokey the Bear appears in my mind and says, Lucas, don't do it. I'm Smokey the Bear. I'll get you. And uh, I go, you're right, Smokey. You're right. No I, fires for when me. When I said only you, I meant it. <laughs> uh, so Arthur kind of leaves the quarters on, on a counter, unassumedly, goes with Buster to the arcade. and they, uh, Buster is kind of snooping his way there. That's right. He's wearing his detective outfit to school. Uh, which is a little strange, reminiscent of when kids would wear their Naruto headbands to elementary school. Hey, I'm not trying to yuck anybody's yum here. Uh, And also... (laughs) Put that in my own personal data bank. Hey, I didn't come up with it. I wish I did. (laughs) But uh, Buster also says the main reason to go to the arcade isn't because they want to have fun and play video games, why I would want to go to the arcade. Buster's in detective mode. He says there are always, always... Shifty characters at the arcade. Buster pressed right bumper and he's in detective mode. He's got to follow the bullet trail. Buster hearkening back to the 1920s where you would literally gamble with arcade machines, well, pinball machines, and they had to be made illegal for a short time. The Maltese Falcon over here, the Maltese Bunny. And uh, while he's, his back is turned at the, at the uh, arcade, Arthur scores huge in pinball. He gets the highest score. And we actually get more of Buster as Arthur's hype man because he says, you know, he's like, you hit the high score. And then he says, that's my best friend. My best friend hit the high score. And then and then even to the next day, Buster is still aglow about Arthur's success as he says, step aside, everyone, pinball wizard coming through. And I'm like, I need Buster in my life or whenever, like, I do a great round in Overwatch or something. Just like, step aside, everybody. Zarya Wizard coming through. And I'm like, all right. It's very reminiscent of uh, King of Kong, a fistful of quarters. Got a kill screen coming up. Hey, hey, kill screen coming up. There's kill screen. Got a kill screen over here. It's coming up. <laughs> great documentary, by the way. If you haven't seen King of Kong, i definitely recommend it. Then there's a bit of a misunderstanding as uh, Principal Haney uh, asks Arthur to give the quarters to Mrs. McGrady, but then... Uh, they kind of go back and forth with Arthur saying he did give it to her and then Principal Haney saying that she never got them. To which Buster, can, is it possible to indict someone if they're innocent? Like, I guess I guess really paints a bad picture of Arthur 
saying that he you know did great at pinball and how once Buster blew a whole bunch of quarters and then uh, Principal Haney and Miss Tingley and this other guy I don't know uh, it's this, another this example of Buster's hype man qualities working against Arthur yeah, more than they work for he's got, him. he's got a bit of a motor mouth <laughs> like he like his mouth kind of gets away from it. it's writing checks his butt can't cash and uh, or rather Arthur's butt in this case. So then Arthur is double interrogated by Mr. Haney and uh, Miss Tingley. He's getting it from both sides. Like they're both like one to the left, one to the right. And they're just pinballing him back and forth with accusations. This episode's really the first time we really get to know some of the extended school staff. Mm. Uh, and it reminds me that they're some of my favorite characters. There's so few moments where we get to really dig in with them. But like Mr. Haney, the, the relationship between all the characters who work at the school Arthur goes to, Mr. Haney, Miss Tingley, uh, Miss McGreedy. Uh, what is the janitor's name? M- Mr. Morris. Mr. Morris. These characters interacting, whenever one of them is on screen, I always have a good time. I, I, I mean, I do like them, but I got to say Principal Haney especially is a gem. And I can't wait to get to more of him. They say the, the ultimatum is if Arthur doesn't fess up to the quarter heist, he, he will serve a week of after school detention, which he's already going to start serving, and that means he will not go to the third grade picnic, which is a big uh, surrounding aspect of this episode. Uh, I know they're young, mm. and it's probably not a lot of money Arthur raised if it was by the quarter. Well, but it was, that it seems was, like a small punishment for stealing money from a charity, as far as they know. Like, if I was a kid and I stole from my school, I feel like I'd get in a lot more trouble than one week of detention. Yeah, you're right. Although, in fairness, this kind of le- le- lends credence to the whole thing of this was Arthur's idea. It's like, well, if you stole the quarters, then that's kind of that's kind of crummy. But it's not like he stole them from the fire department or something. Yeah. Like, if he just stole them from his own initiative, then that's really not oddly self-serving. Cutting and, off and, your nose to spite your face. Sure, and uh, is deserving of punishment, but not like if he actively stole it. But I, I understand. I understand what you're saying. That's just kind of uh, my take on it, I guess. Um, so Buster proclaims the investigation open and is taking it upon himself to get to prove Arthur's innocence as best he can. So the first person he interviews is Mrs. McGrady, who is again the cafeteria lady. And I gotta say, Buster's first instinct is completely sound and could have busted this case wide open. In that. Um, you know, Mrs. McGrady at the time of the quarter heist was um, in the cafeteria making brownies. And Buster says, maybe I better taste one of those brownies. And if he did, mystery solved. Hey, some early foreshadowing. Again, this is another mystery episode. And we've had maybe two by now. Uh, the writers really like to play with the mystery format. They bring it up again and again. We sort of had our Law and Order style es- episode. Mm-hmm. We had that early one where they were trying to tail Mr. Ratburn. Kind of a lighter mystery. There yeah. wasn't really anything to be solved there. This one is a straight noir story. Yeah. Complete with Buster narrating the whole thing. That's true. Uh, yeah. A lot which, of noir narration, as you said. Which is great. The whole and But they also use all the storytelling mechanisms of a noir story as well. The sort of non-linear storytelling with the end coming first, uh, the self-narration, the red herrings, and the mm-hmm. um, foreshadowing as exemplified here. For, for sure. Good point. Um, so Mrs. McGrady leads him to Mr. Morris, the first appearance of Mr. Morris, the school janitor, uh, Buster with the uh, the mop disguise. So Mr. Morris, eh, 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 Arthur meme number three, 
Uh, Mr. Morris is often used to make fun of mods on internet forums because mm. they're called janitors, like sort of derogatorily. So they'll post pictures of Mr. Morris. This is this is news to me. To make fun of mods on certain internet forums. Oh, this is completely news to me. I had no idea Mr. Morris had any role in Arthur memes. Okay, uh, <laughs> you learn something new every day here on Elwood City Limits. Um, Buster questions him, and all Mr. Morris can say is that. Uh, Mrs. McGrady's brownie mix overflowed and he cleaned it up. Um, Twitch Buster says, that's all for now, but don't leave town. <laughs> A great moment. Yeah, great, great little ultimatum there. Buster realizes he needs to visit the suspect's home, and he uh, spends a little bit of time questioning DW. Again, using DW a little bit to go a long way. You know, at first DW seems offended that she, Buster would ask him if Arthur was – ask her if Arthur was guilty – and, like, you're talking about my brother. Like, he would never uh, do something like that. And then Buster tries to backtrack, and then DW c- comes up with, he'd hide it someplace. But where? I, I say we dig up the lawn. And so she is all too ready to bury Arthur six feet under as guilty. Uh, she even going as far as to get a shovel. Yes. And going out with the purpose, I think we could only assume that she actually did dig up the lawn as much as she could. I guess so. Uh, or until she was stopped. So clues are leading no place, and then Buster has to consider the worst possible scenario, and that's, that is Arthur is the culprit, to which we get another... Ding, 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 ding. Arthur meme number four, and this one's probably one of the more prevalent yes, ones. Yes, I've definitely seen this before. It's Arthur in what looks to be a castle tower as he has a room full of quarters, and he is Scrooge McDucking his way through it, just swimming through that quarter, getting all kinds of germs and poisoning, I've no doubt. The meme in particular uses a shot of this screen where it's a... Uh, it's Arthur, like, mid-head transition. Yes. So you can't catch it unless you pause it at the right time, but Arthur's mouth looks comically large yeah. if you pause it at the correct time. And I think what happened was the person who made these memes uh, just watched this episode and tried to get as many as he could from yeah. this episode. Because, again, it's the same watermark, I think, yeah. in the one of uh, him jumping around in the quarters. Yes. That's a good point. Uh, there, this this episode has been very mimetic. Buster, at this point, the case is beginning to affect him. As much as he is not a real detective, he it's it's affecting his his work, his school life, and his home life. He's burning the candle at both ends. <laughs> I love that expression. Of course, we get we get kind of the note here that he has kind of the jughead metabolism. When his mother says, "Only two helpings of dessert." Are you sure you're okay? Like I would get that question as a kid, but just like. Uh, who you eating? Who you who you keeping in there, slugger? Who you eating for? You know that kind of thing. You just like two desserts. He's clearly a man of cast iron stomach. I think they literally say his stomachs are iron in some later episodes. Mm. So she suggests that uh, it's like after ten o'clock, which is pretty late for an eight yeah, year old. Yeah, and and uh, and that's kind of like Buster, normally the slacker character, but he's losing sleep over this. Casey's pouring over details. Burning the midnight oil. And and suspects, and he's losing sleep. He's doing his own footwork. Like, he's really putting in the hours for something that ultimately doesn't mean all that much. But (laughs) it means a lot to him. And, of course, this kind of speaks to his passion for his friendship with Arthur. Like, he really wants to prove himself as a detective, but also, more more importantly, help Arthur get off scot-free. Yeah, it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, and I'm not sure which one more. Like, Mm. it's obvious that he cares about Arthur's innocence and he wants to prove that, but I think he also is very invested in proving his skills at a detective. Earlier in the episode, he tried to do that by saying that the the picnic was coming up, (laughs) and then Arthur sort of 
said, uh, Buster, look at these posters all around. I knew that. There's been signs up for two weeks. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, she suggests – she says – you need your sleep. You're not a robot. And then some. I, I I think Buster needed to go to bed because then he realizes that's the thing to crack the case, and then relays it to Arthur the next day that the quarter thieves were an army of evil robots who consume metal for fuel and can transform themselves into any shape. And then in the, in the light of day, with a solid six to eight hours under his belt. He realizes that it's not going to hold water. Sounded better last night, he says. Yeah. Another classic Buster non sequitur. We've gone from mole people to m- robots. Who knows what he's going to bring out next? Desperate plans make sense. In the low light, Arthur realizes that he's pretty much borked at this point. He's going to have to miss the third grade picnic. Uh, great, li- great line here. Uh, he says, you might be a lousy detective, but you're a good friend. Aww. So that was a really heartwarming one. Everybody's getting ready to line up on the bus to go to the picnic, and everybody's wearing their alt-fall costume. Yeah. We got a lot of great jackets in this episode. Everybody's looking steezy. Uh, <laughs> Francine's got this great letterman on. She does. I think uh, I, I think I like Francine's uh, fall outfit the best, because she's got that sweet letterman's jacket. Yeah, the brain's got this nice beige uh, zip-up. Yeah, looking very dad-formal. Like, yeah, like everybody's everybody's bringing it in this episode. It's funny that the we've talked about this before, but the fashion of Arthur's very '90s. I think like kids in the '90s dressed sort of how all these kids dress, where Arthur's wearing his collared shirt under a sweater and mm-hmm. all that stuff. You don't really see that amongst kids these days, but I think it's also it's coming back. It's all very American apparel, yeah, like that very... c- sort of classic faux vintage style. Yeah, uh, it's back in favor. I mean, right now I'm wearing a sweater over a collared shirt mm-hmm. and it wouldn't look out of place as something one of the Arthur characters yeah, would wear. Yeah, just give it just t- tint up the yellow a little bit and you would be closer to Arthur than I certainly am, but I'm well, I'm wearing a polo shirt right now, so uh, uh in, in fact in my memory, uh brain kind of wearing something that reminds me a little bit of the uh the turtleneck sweater that Drake has in the Hotline <laughs> Bling video. Just a li- just a little bit. It's a jacket, but it kind of What's gives old me is the- new though. It's all coming back. Yeah, it's funny how that works. Buster unfortunately on able to help Arthur and he kind of talks about with Brain who kind of gives him another break in the in the case but I think it just kind of uh it's the one thing that helps Buster put the pieces together and he says sometimes it feels like my brain is overflowing with data and overflowing is the thing that gets Buster on the right track so then he grabs principal Haney runs to the runs to the cafeteria and kind of starts putting the pieces together there you know Mrs. McGrady's uh brownie batch overflowed and which would seem unusual because he, they'd never heard of it before. And Twishy says, I guess I made too much. And he says, because there's one extra ingredient, snaps open a brownie, and there's the quarters. A very literal, it's almost almost a literal, I guess it's not literally, but the smoking gun uh, where Buster sort of shows the final piece of evidence by dramatically snapping that brownie. The same way that my mother would cook uh, loonies, toonies, and quarters into our pancakes on Shrove Tuesday. I'm I'm sure this is me not being uh, aware of the world around me and not a case of you being strange, but I've never heard about that before. It's, I, I, I don't think it's necessarily done all that much, especially considering that it's extremely un- unhygienic. But uh, for Shrove Tuesday, bef- uh, the uh, Tuesday before Lent starts in the Catholic calendar, right. my mother would put in like loonies, toonies, and quarters into our pancakes because it's Pancake Tuesday. I'm sure the time. oven burns away all the germs. Yeah, you know, it's probably not as unhygienic, but also think about it just like how I probably came close to eating a fair amount of cadmium 
was probably unhygienic. <laughs> well, uh, that gets into this. If Buster didn't solve the case in time, this could have been a huge health hazard. Could yeah. you imagine biting into a brownie with full force? You'll chip a tooth. Yeah, he could He could have very well saved a few lives. You never know. <laughs> That's right. It's a choking hazard. To which Mrs. McGrady sees and says, I must have mixed in the bag of quarters in with the bag of flour. How? <laughs> I think it's implied most uh, a couple times in this episode that Mrs. McGrady's not the sharpest... Well, I'm mixing up my analogies, but not the, not sharpest, the sharpest bulb quarter. on the tree. Not the sharpest quarter in the brownie. Certainly not. <laughs> so, thankfully, in the nick of time, before the bus leaves, uh, Arthur is proven innocent, to which Buster gets to do something which I kind of want to put on my bucket list. He gets to go outside with a <laughs> megaphone and declare, he's innocent! And I'm just like, that must be the greatest feeling in the world. This is pretty comical because it's a little bit unrealistic how just excited all the kids are. It's this big triumphant moment. It's almost like yeah. I am Spartacus from the end of Spartacus. Mm-hmm. The kids are all jumping up and down. They're cheering. You could hear one kid almost off mic if you listen really closely go, innocent, innocent, like really? in the background. Yeah, you got to turn it up real loud. Okay. Uh, but it, this is where the angry mob comes in. The episode comes full circle. This cheering mob of children storm the detention room. It's a, it's a hero's welcome for Arthur as they are carried back to the bus. It's... <laughs> It's remarkable. It's like a, it's like a moment from Rudy. Exactly. It's just like that. That sort of end of a end of a story. Uh, heroes welcome, just like you said. Yeah. Everybody's cheering and lifting them up. Uh, nothing like this happened in my childhood to me. I'll tell no, you that much. Goodness, no, I was too heavy for kids to lift. <laughs> Uh, so all's well. They go to the third grade picnic, and Buster wraps it all up in the uh, in the detective framing device. Uh, by saying he cracked the case, and from now on, Mrs. McGrady uses a metal detector for all of the desserts she makes. Ha <laughs> ha! So there you have it. That's uh, Arthur accused. So what did you think of these two episodes? I mean, they weren't bad, but they were pretty middle of the road. I think there was nothing like there was a few lines here and there, or a few particular situations that made me laugh or I found really engaging. Mm. But I think overall, they were just two average Arthur episodes. I think they might have been the most. Mm, let's say the least opinionated I've been on an episode so far. Like, I'm not, there's nothing bad I have to say about either of them, but there's nothing really glowing to say. It might be the second episode also didn't have the same impact on me as if we were watching these out of order because we've gotten so many mystery episodes in a row kind of so far that I was like, oh, it's it's another mystery. And this one's a little bit more hard noir, hard-boiled detective story. And I think I would have been way more into that if we hadn't already watched two mystery episodes, not quite back-to-back, but pretty close together. Okay. I'm actually going to disagree with you, uh, especially in terms of Arthur Accused. Uh, I think this comes together as a very strong episode. And I say that because, well, first of all, uh, the story in the first one, not terribly strong, but I think it led to some real character moments. Kind of like if you go back to the beginning of the podcast, I kind of expressed a little bit of doubt, or not, not doubt, but sort of just kind of, lingering feelings from childhood over Francine's character and watching her with adult eyes I really come to understand her a lot better and not only her relationship with Arthur but just her as a person and I felt that that first episode was very good in being able to do that second episode I thought was incredibly enjoyable I loved the anim- I, I like the animation in both these episodes but the second one especially the the fact that it's a Buster centric episode definitely helps that's the right fact- a Buster episode is always a winner in my book the fact that it kind of had a bit of a gimmick to tie it together I appreciate uh, well, I mean, well I mean a gimmick can go a bit too far sometimes but I thought here it was just right 
Uh, it's another one where kids can kind of get in on the fun of an adult uh, storytelling trope. And I, I just thought it was really entertaining. And also I think was a great showcase for Buster as well. So I, 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 I might cast this as an early uh, personal favorite of the ones that we've watched so far, especially more more so Arthur Accused. Interesting. So th- that's that's kind of a personal favorite of mine. I also definitely think that both of these episodes, and I think for the better, uh, had a little bit of a slower pace mm-hmm. than even the last episodes we watched. <laughs> like there there was a lot more time for, especially in Locked in the Library, character moments. Uh, a lot more time to dwell on things. Locked in the library, the inciting incident doesn't happen until already almost halfway through the episode. It takes mm. a little bit for them to get locked in the titular library. Um, and I think that might have been why it bounced off me a little bit more. Again, I think this is a case where if we weren't watching them in order, I would have agreed with you and said that uh, Arthur Accused is one of my favorites. I think it's just because I've seen so many mysteries before it didn't stand out mm. for me as much, but I could see that removing myself from this whole process a little bit. Had I just seen this on syndicated television, I would have been entertained throughout. Yeah, it's interesting how the early episodes of Arthur lean on that mystery uh, plot a little bit for some of them. So they, they must have been been on a real kick of that. Uh, early on in the series as we're going through in order. And speaking of going through in order, that is our review of uh, Locked in the Library and Arthur Accused. Thank you very much for uh, listening to this podcast. Next week, we're going to be talking about one the so the episode that you have prepared for weeks in advance unwittingly. <laughs> That's right. I've been I've been really meditating on this one. <laughs> I have a lot to say. Taking a Zenyatta like pose over the next episode, which is Arthur Goes to Camp and Buster Makes the Grade. So if you'd like to follow along with us, just find that episode wherever you can and uh, just don't make your means too uh, public. If you'd right. like, if you. Shh. And I say, if you're listening, which I know you are, we have nothing to do with this. Exactly. And if you would like to follow along, if you'd like to give us some of your feedback on any of the episodes we've talked about or on the show as a whole, you can uh, go on to Facebook. We are available on SoundCloud. And you can email us, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. And, of course, spread the word around. We would love for this show to get bigger and bigger as we find everybody who would love to talk about Arthur. So for Lucas Mancini, my name is Will Young. Thank you for listening to this episode of Elwood City Limits, and we'll catch you next time. We should go dig up the lawn. (laughs) Worm. (laughs) Ah. Oh, we were, I thought we were about to be locked in the studio for a moment. (laughs) Locked in the studio, exclamation mark. How ironic.